Hello and welcome to the Alliance Party After Dark, a podcast for the politically aware brought to you by the Alliance Party. Content for this episode was recorded on Saturday, March 6, 2021. A good evening to you out there. I'm Greg, your host for this evening's podcast. Today we're talking with Gareth Fenley. Gareth works as a coordinator with a collaborative project of two organizations that focus on social justice issues in the great state of Georgia, the Economic Justice Coalition and the Georgia Coalition for the People's Agenda. The Economic Justice Coalition is a 501c3 nonprofit organization based in Athens, Georgia. Their mission is to educate, advocate, and organize for quality jobs with living wages and benefits. Meanwhile, the Georgia Coalition for the People's Agenda seeks to improve the quality of governance in Georgia. They take a twofold approach to this goal create an informed and active electorate, and elect officials that are responsive and accountable. Gareth Fenley has been an advocate for people's rights for over 40 years. Her experience in this area began as a teenager when her mom asked her to help work the phone banks, visit legislatures, participate in citizen lobbying efforts, and in general work to advance policies that improve the everyday lives of people who are being oppressed by the unfair and unjust systems opposed behind them. She went to college to get degrees in government and social work. Since then, she's worked at a number of organizations within both the private sector and the public advocacy space. Her drive is inspired by Dr. Martin Luther King, Harvey Milk, and Jesus. Gareth, welcome to the Alliance Party After Dark. We're so happy to have you. Thank you for joining us this evening. Thank you, Greg. It's great to be here with you. Well, uh, so Georgia, probably the biggest hotspot of this year's election calendar. I, I suppose you might have been able to anticipate it. It came as a bit of a surprise to me, but Georgia was the focal point for every politically minded person within this past year. Uh, it was the last stand for the Republican Senate. There was a runoff election. It was a total reversal of a red state into a blue state as far as uh, both presidential and congressional election. And you've been working for organizations that have been designed to provide more power into voters that stepped up. And, you know, they faced a lot of intimidation, just general historical odds against them. And they took on the political machinery, the incumbent machinery, and won. Uh, but it's an ongoing fight, obviously. So we're wondering, working for the Economic Justice Coalition and the Georgia Coalition for the People's Agenda, what do you see as your primary goal and role in this ecosystem in Georgia? Well, thanks, Greg. Um, certainly, Georgia was an overnight success that was years in the making. And I've been a small part of that. I suppose that um, my goal is to continue working at the grassroots level as one of many coordinators who are synchronizing across the state in our work to try to get elections more fair and representative of the people. So in a way, I'm not so much a meta level strategy person as I'm the field marshal, I'm a field coordinator, I'm a person who convenes and mobilizes teams to get things done to implement the vision of others who are far more often in the news. One of those figures, of course, being Stacey Abrams, who essentially became a national household name almost overnight with her and her team managing to increase voter participation in the state of Georgia. Uh, I've got one question, which is, you know, 
what have you done on, on that front to help increase voter registration? But I'm also really curious to know as, as someone who really intimately knows Georgia politics, what made this election cycle so special? Why was this the year that everything kind of came together? Well, I like to say that Stacey Abrams got the best revenge. She lost and so she won the entire United States. She lost the race <laughs> with the governor of Georgia. Uh, so she came back strong and won the Senate, the House, the presidency. Um, in my current role, I'm strictly nonpartisan and not for any particular candidate. Um, Stacey Abrams herself uh, was not a candidate in 2020, but she was the um, either the leader or the godmother of a number of organizations and even organizations that she didn't specifically have a formal hand in. She inspired many across the state. And what what was the... I mean, it was it. Did it really come down to her involvement and kind of acting as that catalyzing force? Because I know you had mentioned that that it's those many years in the making. I'm curious, is like, what 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 made this the year? What made everything come together and hit that critical mass of voter engagement that tipped the scales? I believe that the work of leader Stacey Abrams and many more unsung uh, black African-American heroines for the fight deep in the trenches who've been in the struggle for decades uh, paid off big time. And not least it helped that we had hundreds of millions of dollars uh, coming in and pouring into these, um, not only the November races, but then in the general election, but then in January, due to uh, Georgia's unique election system, we, we had the two Senate runoffs that determined whether a Republican or a Democrat would represent Georgia in the Senate in the very same year, in the month of January. So all that money from everyone, you, you had just mentioned, Greg, that Georgia was on everyone's mind and all of their money came our way and flowed deep and broad across the state. Yeah, I mean, full, full disclosure for the audience, I myself donated to that effort. Uh, 50 bucks at the time is what I could spare. Well, uh, but I had never seen a, a runoff election like that in my lifetime. Certainly, it felt very special. It was amazing. And I can tell you that the amount of energy that was just galvanized across the state, it everyone was talking about it. Everyone knew about this. Usually a runoff election is pretty obscure and only super voters or people who vote in every single possible election, even the local ones, will know that a runoff is even happening. So in terms of someone who's interested in engaging voters across the state, um, whenever you're working with a runoff election, one of the first things you want to educate the public is that there's an election. Usually people don't even know, but everyone knew, everyone in Georgia knew. And that was partly because our mailboxes were filled every day with flyers 
coming from all different directions, from the campaigns, from political action committees, super PACs, um, dark money organizations supporting one side or the other, and then these incredible um, nonpartisan, nonprofit civic engagement organizations like the ones I'm working with now, because um, the Georgia Coalition for the People's Agenda was one of the original old civil rights organizations uh, founded by Reverend Dr. Joseph Lowry, who was a colleague of Dr. King. And um, Reverend Dr. Lowry just passed away at age 98 last year. Wow. Yeah, he was, uh, he was known as the Dean of the Civil Rights Movement. And he was one of the people who would get things done. Um, kind of my hero. <laughs> he was one of the people who would be making sure that everything happened. Um, not necessarily the one you'd see on TV, although toward the end, simply because of his incredible longevity, he was on TV uh, quite a bit toward the end there. But um, the Georgia Coalition for the People's Agenda originally was part of an effort to change laws to allow African-Americans to vote who were not being allowed to vote, who were not being allowed to take an equal part in society because it was the law in Georgia uh, um, based on race that a lot of wrongs were done specifically to that group of people who were identified as black on their birth certificate. So that's pretty much the demographic that has um, convened and been served by uh, these coalition organizations, these nonprofit um, civic engagement organizations, uh, black churches, all were working together to make sure that everyone knew uh, this is the year, this is our year, this is the year we've got to step forward. Well, this is a, a great transition. I did want to ask you about the Voting Rights Act. It, it made national headlines when it was largely repealed in 2013. What effect did that event have on voter suppression in Georgia? And is there anything being done at the grassroots level to address that absent a national sort of voting rights initiative, which doesn't seem to be in the cards? Well, actually, nationally, um, I think it's HR1, the first bill introduced um, in the House and the U.S. Congress under Joe Biden is um, the, um, is it not the John Lewis Voting Rights Act named in honor of John Lewis, the late um, uh, Congress representative from Atlanta, who was also a civil rights hero. So the idea is that with federal legislation in this particularly unique moment in history, it may be possible to restore and um, make right um, some rollbacks in civil rights that occurred in more recent years. So the federal level is definitely a place where action is occurring. And um, on a grassroots state level, we, we at this particular moment are in resistance mode because some um, backlash legislation is sweeping its way through the Georgia General Assembly that's um, curtailing voting rights and is being done in the name of 
I believe it's election integrity is what it's called, but basically these are measures that the Georgia General Assembly seems to think are necessary to keep massive voter fraud from occurring, of which there is no evidence. Yeah, so let, let's talk about that. Um, your organizations, as you said at the top of the show, they're nonpartisan. I'm very curious, and if it's too hot a topic, don't have to answer, but how is it, do, do you find it more difficult remaining nonpartisan as access to the vote, voter ID, voter suppression, all these issues are taking on an increasingly partisan and politicized bent, especially over the past couple of years? Actually, I just stay true to my passion and my core mission, which is to help people be involved and to stand for the values that I got from mom (laughs) and that were reinforced throughout my life as I grew older and participated in civic life and saw that there was good evidence for these positions I'd gotten from my mom. Um, I have never been a person who believed that the two-party system was necessarily the best or only way that the United States could be organized. Um, I never thought that I'd want to belong to a political party as an end in itself. And I think that the two-party dialogue is pretty toxic Toxic right now. I don't know if it even is a dialogue. <laughs> it's, it's too bad. I hark back from the days when there was at least the ideal that, that we could compromise, we could talk together, um, that the people's interests would be represented in legislative bodies and that contacting your elected officials was something that good citizens should do, assuming that the officials would listen. Um, And gosh, I, uh, by staying true to that, um, I don't feel there's been a, I don't feel there's a huge issue with, with um, remaining nonpartisan. I'm certainly the Alliance party would like to provide that more civil dialogue. I know that's, that's what we would love to see. And that's what we've been working toward. So we a hundred percent agree with you on that. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. But speaking of um, what is the, I guess the ecosystem of third parties in Georgia, do they, play a major role? Do you see them playing a major role? Um, you know, the Alliance Party, of course, being the one we're particularly interested in, but we'd love to know what you see as the future of third parties, especially in Georgia. Well, I'm not really a pundit. I have mentioned that I'm more about getting it done at the grassroots level. Um, however, I can say that the Green Party and the Libertarian Party, and particularly the Libertarians, have a presence in Georgia. Uh, the Alliance Party is just emerging in Georgia, and um, you know, as a nonpartisan person who wants more, more choices in elections, I would welcome more uh, choices in candidates. Um, I don't really know that ballot access will necessarily be easy in Georgia. Um, the current mood in the General Assembly seems to be 
somewhat uh, reactionary in terms of rolling back some of the access to democracy that ordinary people have been able to win over the past few decades. So that's very alarming. Um, we're uh, obviously uh, the census uh, results are coming and we will be doing redistricting and um, Georgia has a very partisan redistricting process. So only one party will be drawing the lines. Uh, that's a shame. And yeah. uh, honestly, you want my real unvarnished opinion. I don't think either party should be drawing the lines. I think it should be done by an independent commission. Absolutely. There are some efforts in Georgia to try to make that happen, but that's, I hope someday going to be an overnight success. <laughs> let, let me say if it happened tomorrow, I would be shocked. I think that's a, that's another national fight. That's a local fight um, with everybody to get involved and push back against these highly partisan districting practices. It really does disadvantage a healthy political discourse when you can have politicians choosing their voters instead of the other way around. Yes. And Greg, you had mentioned the um, defeat of the voting rights act. Um, many provisions of the voting rights act being rolled back. Um, Georgia was under federal supervision because of its historic Jim Crow discrimination um, districts had to be reviewed by the federal government and approved by a judge before they could go through. So at least there was an element in redistricting in the past that didn't depend purely on party seeking par power. Um, now that's been removed. It's just 100% hyper-political partisanship. Well, pulling back all the way. Historically, Georgia has been extremely conservative, uh, particularly on social issues. And I would say, generally speaking, electorally as well. They went blue this election. Do you see this as the beginning of a trend or do you see this as a bit of an anomaly? And where are the political fault lines in Georgia? Is it economic? Is it rural versus urban? Uh, is it uh, racial? You know, is it um, more more an intangible ideological divide? Love to know where you see these where you see these splits happening, and sort of maybe look ten years down the line. Are we going to see more Democrat wins, more liberal wins, or will Georgia probably stay more conservative as it goes forward? Wow, that's not an easy question to tackle. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've only got you for this episode. I want to make sure. I mean, everyone is looking at Georgia right now. Uh, as we touched on above, it's it's a household name now. And it was, I mean, there were several states and cities that were pivotal to the outcome of the last election. But Georgia is, you know, as arguably as the rest of them, one of the most pivotal states right now as far as electoral politics you know georgia so our audience is going to want to know what you think 
Well, I have been living in Georgia with an intermission in South Carolina for more than 30 years, but as they say, I'm not from around here. I wasn't born and raised in the South, so I can't say I am from here. Um, however, I consider myself a Southern transplant and I've been here long enough to just love the South and love Georgia. There's an old um, saying, I think it's attributed to William Faulkner that in the South, uh, the past isn't past. The past is the present. Uh, when you talk about conservative if you're talking about conserving and preserving and cherishing and maintaining old traditions, that probably continues in the South um, and, you know, specifically in Georgia. Uh, I don't know more than anywhere in the United States, but certainly the South has a regional culture that you don't see when you travel from, let's say, Indiana to California the accent doesn't suddenly change so dramatically that you don't understand people. Mm -hmm. So here in the South, we definitely have a regional identity that is very tied to the fact that in the South, not long ago in the generations of great grandmas, um, just a few generations back, we had uh, slavery that there were, um, there was a part of the population that had set up the, the laws and, written the system that said that they owned the land and had uh, made sure that anybody who was there before European settlement was um, removed um, to Oklahoma, the Cherokee and other nations were systematically removed and forced out. Um, so that you had the, um, the white settlers and then you had the um, people they enslaved who were from Africa and African descent. So you had a very large population of enslaved people in Georgia. And in some counties, there were more people of African descent than white people. Um, and the agriculture of, of the state in terms of what the plantation system could make to grow with the forced labor, labor of the Africans and their descendants, the African-Americans, um, that shaped our state. And if you think that was so long ago, it's just something for the history books. You could just look to um, a current controversy in zoning in my county right now, where um, there are calls to, to make a defiant stand over our history and heritage because uh, there's a, a subdivision that a developer wants to build. And neighbors are saying, you know, this is our land. Our families have owned this land as family farms since the early 1800s before the civil war. That's the antebellum slavery years. Yeah. And then of course, our families, well, you know, we're talking about white people who are descendants of those generations that enslaved the black families who are also still here on the same land, but not necessarily living on the literal plantations that were here. Instead, the, um, through um, systematic government-led processes, they have been um, corralled into housing projects and substandard housing. And all of that is, is very real. Race is, race is one of the most significant facts in understanding um, 
politics around here. Uh, certainly, it's a year when a reckoning around race is occurring throughout the United States, and we see that here. Um, I believe that our future um, over the next, you, you mentioned 10 years, is going to be shaped by people of color, um, African-Americans who are descendants of those who were enslaved in Georgia, as well as the newer um, folks who've come in and worked uh, a large population of Latino Hispanic families in Georgia now, um, as well as the white citizens um, who have been here for generations and those like me who came in from other parts of the country. Um, Georgia is, is an economically booming state. There's a lot going on here. Um, it's an exciting place to be as well as being in some ways very conservative. <laughs> I mm -hmm. drive along, you know, going shopping. I pass several Confederate flags proudly displayed on the way. Um, and uh, in fact, my little town, I live just outside the city limits of a small town in Walton County. And until last year at the four um, highway entrances to town, there were Confederate flags displayed on the Welcome to Monroe um, road sign. That it was an old fashioned um, uh, sign that had the logos for the Rotary Club and the Kiwanis Club and the American Legion and such. And the most prominent sign on each of those four entrance welcomes was uh, Sons of Confederate Veterans um, uh, banner with the uh, with the old Dixie flag. Mm -hmm. um, so as people entered the town, even until a year ago, they were being put on notice that this is not a place where the Civil War is something in a book you read once and it's past. It's, it's something that people, that's relevant to life today. What advice would you give to other folks out there in other, other regions, other states, that are working to undo historical, economic, and social injustices like that? Um, I would say that the future is to be led by the people who have been on the losing end of the stick and those who are aware of our future being not only what's right, but also in our own self-interest to have a stable and prospering country with a economy and society that really works. Um, it's in our best interest, um, including people like me who are white, to take leadership from and work as allies to people of color who are frankly the emerging majority in this, in this country. Thank you so much for your insight, Gareth. Um, what can our audience listening today do to help you move the needle with the Economic Justice Coalition and the Georgia Coalition for the People's Agenda? How could they get involved? Well, if folks are from out of state, they can keep sending us money. <laughs> if you like what you're seeing, um, it is directly assisted by the donations that have been coming in to um, 
all the different organizations that are making a difference on the ground um, that are able to put some, um, basically spin straw into gold, take small amounts of money and transform it into really significant actions spread across the entire state um, to the point that, well, just the other day I was at an economic justice coalition meeting and hearing about how in one rural county where we're doing some work, the election board, the authority is actually a probate judge. That's it. There's no, there's no other election authority. It's just one judge. And the um, Economic Justice Coalition uh, team, which is two local people, went to visit the probate judge to attend the election board meeting. And of course, it was a public session that they were supposed to be able to attend. And they met a very startled judge who wasn't used to having people show up Certainly not people who were dark in skin and who were suggesting that a uh, um, ballot drop box um, be placed inside of a low income area where people would find it easier to walk up and deposit their ballots for voting. Uh, the probate judge didn't quite know what to do with that. And that um, encounter and the information gathered about what changes might be possible and what's the reality on the ground in that county was brought back to our meeting and strategized by uh, people like me and the whole team. And um, we are waking up and we're doing something about it. So, yeah, if if folks feel that they don't have any way to connect with something that local, uh, send a mild, uh, modest donation. Why not? And then, of course, in your own local area, wherever you may be, get involved and find out um, if you're white, like me, I've always been white, just kind of comes with the territory. It's how I was born. Um, if you're white and if you have not yet worked in coalition with and service to um, organizations and efforts and initiatives led by people of color, I suggest you give it a try. Okay, thank you. And for anyone who would like to get involved and send those donations, the websites are thepeoplesagenda.org and theeconomicjusticecoalition.org. We've been talking with Gareth Fenley, community organizer and entrepreneur and a person who obviously, and it, it comes across so clearly, deeply cares about people in her community and acts on that passion. Gareth, thank you for everything that you've done. Thank you for the work that you've done for your communities. And thank you for joining us at the Alliance Party After Dark this evening. Thank you, Greg. It's been a pleasure. And thank you at home for tuning us, tuning into the Alliance Party After Dark podcast. Please consider subscribing to the show so that you don't miss any episodes. Each week, we'll bring you interesting topics from the Alliance Party perspective. You can subscribe on iTunes, Google, or Spotify. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast and like to get involved in the Alliance Party, check out our own website at theallianceparty.com. As we expand the party, we need your involvement. Democracy is not a spectator sport. Donations and, of course, volunteers are always welcome. If you would like to contact us at the Alliance Party After Dark, drop us an email at podcast at theallianceparty.com and check out our Twitter page at Alliance on Air. 
All contest for this podcast is copyright of the Alliance Party. However, the views expressed in the show do not necessarily reflect those of the Alliance Party. I've been Greg, your host for this evening's edition of the Alliance Party After Dark. And on behalf of everyone here at the Alliance Party, have a wonderful evening, a great week ahead, and we hope to hear you drop in for our next show. Be safe, be aware, and take care of yourself and those around you. Have a good night.